Taylor wanted me to sing or something. He's putting a song sheet in front of me. You don't want me to sing. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you here today. I'm battling the crud like a lot of you have been doing. Somebody here gave it to me. I'm not sure who it was. But uh, gl- glad to see you. Thanks for being here. If you're a guest, thanks for being here at <clears throat> Gateway Church, our Taze Valley campus. I'm Pastor Dave, and uh, what a blessing to be here. And I'm glad you're here as well. Everybody's doing okay? Everybody's doing good? Got plans next weekend? Don't forget uh, two services on Saturday, 3.30 and 5, and then Sunday morning, 11 a.m., just the 11 a.m. service. So you're good if that's your service. But the Saturday services and the Sunday service will be pretty much identical. I mean, there'll be maybe some special elements in each service that'll be different that you'll just you'll get when you come to that service unless you come to all of them you won't get all those special elements but you'll get the same songs and the same uh sermon and and all that so candle lighting however on saturday only so if you like that no reason why you can't come to all three services you know i think you you should be here for all three And Philip Mullins will be leading the message next weekend here at this campus. So I know everybody loves Philip. Can't but love Philip, right? He's so lovable. All right. Well, uh, uh, where's your husband? He's sick. He's sick. Well, thanks for sitting up front without him. Uh, I need need you as an object lesson this morning, so I'm glad you're right up front. We're talking about Mary today, and you know her story. So we are on the third Sunday of December and the third uh, sermon in this series, Go Tell It on the Mountain. That song uh, comes from us from the African-American heritage, and it's really about when the angels broke into the human scene to announce the birth of Christ. And, And next week, we'll get more to the gist of that song as they were announcing to the shepherds. So that'll be next week's message, what they told the shepherds. So far, we've looked at this flurry of activity on the angelic scene. You know, we, we know there have been angels all throughout the Old Testament, <clears throat> but never in such density and, uh, and so, so vocal as they are right here as we turn the page from Malachi over to Matthew. And it seems like God pulled the trigger on his plan <clears throat> to, uh, you know, to get things in order to send his son into the world. So we've talked about Zechariah. You know, they had, to get a, they had to get an Elijah, first century Elijah, who was known as who? John who? John the baptizer. He was John the baptizer. There weren't any Baptists in the uh, first century. I hate to burst anybody's bubble. But uh, they were baptizers. That's what he was the one who baptized. This is actually the Greek interpretation. John, the one who baptized. And so... Um, <clears throat> The angels told Zechariah, God heard your prayers. These were, these were old folks, but they were still praying for a son because that son was their security blanket in a way. He was their uh, long-term disability plan. He was their uh, insurance. Now, unfortunately, John didn't end up being that because he remember he lost his head over something and uh, he, didn't get to, he didn't get to be there for them in their older old age. But uh, God told them, yes, you're going to have a child. God has heard your prayer. The angel told him that. Then last week we looked at Joseph. 
I think that guy Russ was here last week, you know, Shady Spring Basketball Russ. He's all about Shady Spring Basketball. And he, uh, he talked about when God intervenes in your plans. You know, you think you have a decision made. You think you know what you're doing. But God has a way of stepping in saying there's a better way. <clears throat> and I'm saying this for a little Landon. Uh, he told Joseph, don't be afraid. You don't know Landon Morris. I'm saying this for him. Don't be afraid to marry, marry, merrily. <laughs> Can you relay that to him, <clears throat> Aubrey? And for Nora as well. Little Nora uh, was a part of that. So today we're going to look at Mary. We're going to look at Mary. And we're going to look back over into Luke's gospel, chapter 1. And the message is titled, When God Gives Favor. God Gives Favor. And since we are talking about a birth, uh, isn't that a great time when we remember the favor of God? I mean, really, if you've experienced that, if you've experienced the birth of a child on either end of it, as the mother or the father, I think you could sum up that whole experience from start to finish as that's, that's God's favor. The way God does that is beyond our comprehension, the way it happens. God gives us favor. And uh, it's a great time in the life of the family. And um, uh, I think I'd get an amen from, from even the guys here that, uh, it, you know, despite what, uh, you know, despite what she's going through and the demand she might make on your life and the chokehold she might have on you the day of, uh, it's favor. It's God's favor. Amen. Children are a gift from, from God. Now, we have uh, more than a few families in our church who have twins. We have, we have, we had to call, we had some this morning. We had the Walker uh, girls who were here, twins. We had the uh, little Polly twins here in our first service. And uh, there are several twins in our church. <clears throat> About one in 60 couples in, uh, in the world have twins. Not as common, but a little uncommon. I know a few families with triplets. I know a few families with triplets. I went to high school with triplets. Pam, Dan, and Sam. We called them Danny, Pammy, and Sammy. And uh, they were the Tabers, and they're triplets. Anybody know triplets? Anybody know triplets? Uh, okay. Anybody have triplets? Yeah? Okay. All right. And uh, even more rare, there are those women who've had four at a time. Quadruplets. Anybody know any quadruplets? Okay. All right. That's, that's kind of rare, isn't it? It's kind of rare. There have also been quintuplets or quins, that's five, and sextuplets, that's six. In 1997, the McCaughey babies born in Des Moines, Iowa, became the first septuplets, that's seven, and they survived infancy, first known to survive infancy. The first surviving set of octuplets, yeah, that's eight, uh, not an octopus, although that, they might have looked like that. Uh, it goes on record to the Solomon babies born in Bellflower, California. All, all of them survived, and as of 2019, they were all 10 years old. Eight of them together. That's crazy, isn't it? But it goes higher. On May 4th, 2021, 26-year-old woman from 
Morocco named Halima Sise gave birth at 30 weeks by C-section to nine healthy babies. They all weighed between 1.1 and 2 pounds. Nine babies. Each baby, uh, as I said, weighed uh, between 1.1 and 2 pounds. They, they had, the father said they went through 100 diapers and 6 liters of milk every single day. How would you like to pay for that? <clears throat> Halima told ABC News, I feel very happy. It's a beautiful gift. And she said she and her husband have always wanted a big family. Well, what better way to do it, huh? Do it all at once. And they already had a daughter, by the way. So they they gave them 10. But wait, there was a report. And I saw this on the internet, so I know it's true. (laughs) About a South African woman who recently... This is just in the last few years, set a new record by giving birth to 10 babies at once. Now, that would be called deck, deck couplets. And we got a picture of her. <clears throat> that reminds me of me after Thanksgiving dinner. You know, that's where, the way you want to sit. Now, um, th- this is in dispute. Evidently, they get up to seven and they, they lose count. You know, the babies are moving around so much. But this one is in dispute, so we'll give it to the nine babies. Nine babies. And if you think nine babies is quite a feat, each one weighing between one and two pounds, let's give her 18 pounds total. There was, uh, in the Guinness Book of Records in 1955, born in Italy, 22 pounds and eight ounces. And we got a picture of him too, this little toddler. Yeah. That's not really him. Now, it's been a while back, but in 2019, a woman in New York, Joy Buckley, did give birth to a 15-pound, 5-ounce baby. That's big enough, isn't it? Anybody here have an 8-pound baby? Okay. All right. Not, not so uncommon then. Are you, uh, are you prognosticating there what you're having? You raise your hand there. Four pounds at 31 weeks. I say we go through the record. We go for the record. I say we go for the record. Feed this woman, all right? Now, we could keep going. Uh, there are lots of unusual birth stories, and they're, and they're so fun to look at. And it, it does indicate God's favor. But we're really interested in what the Bible has to say, Right? There are a lot of unusual birth stories in the Bible. You might remember Abraham and Sarah were, what, 30 years old? 99 and 90, Abraham and Sarah, when God came to them and said, okay, you know that son I promised you way back in Genesis chapter 12? Remember that son that I said the descendants, he's going to multiply into as many as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea? You're going to have this baby. And uh, Noah looked at his wife, his wife looked at, uh, I said, Noah, Abraham looked at his wife and his wife looked at him. And what did they do? You remember? They did what you just did. They laughed and they called Abraham and Sarah called him Isaac because that was the word for laughter. That was laughter. Now, I know Russ mentioned a baby last week and John, this is for you. Because uh, I, I heard he called you out last week. It was very nice of him. So uh, <clears throat> I did hear that the oldest woman in modern times to give birth was a woman named Aramati Mangayama in India. She had twins at the age of 74. And fellas, her husband was indeed 80T. 
too. It could happen. He told the reporter, we are the happiest couple on earth today. We have our own children. So that's God's favor. Isaac had a wife, Rebecca. She was known to be barren. Jacob's wife, Rachel, was known to be barren. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, before she had Samuel, was known to be barren. There are some others in the Bible. And all of these are unusual. They're all unusual stories where God had to intervene. He had to do something to, uh, to cause uh, the, the woman to become pregnant by her husband and have a baby. But that's not the story that we're interested in. Those are unusual, but they're not unique. There is one unique story in the Bible. And of course, you know where I'm going with this. It's not a multiple birth story. It's not a biggest baby. It's not a barren womb. It's not an old womb. It's the story of Jesus in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 because there was no human father involved in this conception. Every other birth, whether they were barren or not, every other birth before and every other birth after has taken a human mother and a human father. Now, I know what you're thinking. What about uh, in vitro? That still takes uh, uh, contribution, if you will, from both sides of the story, if I can say it that way. But not this one. Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, the angel did, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, again, last week we talked about Joseph who was... Some say in the background, behind the scenes, but Joseph was very much in the scene. He was in the foreground before, during, and after that birth. But he wasn't there at the conception. And that was the problem Joseph had. But who was there at the conception? God was there. God was there. Now, we don't understand it. We can't explain it. Biologically, scientifically, here's one of those things that we have to take on faith. But I want to tell you the virgin birth is central to our belief as Christians. It is core to who we are that Jesus was born of a virgin. Let's not let him take it away from us. 
Let's not, uh, you know, let them scientifically steal it from us. We can't explain it in that way. It is a miracle. And if you can accept the first line of the book of Genesis, then you can accept this. Amen? In the beginning, God created, and so this is no big deal. That's what he did here. He created. <clears throat> so what can we say about Mary? We can say, we said a lot about Joseph. What can we say about Mary? <clears throat> and mind you, a lot of what I'm going to say about Mary today is to dispel what others teach about Mary. And it's not my goal or, or purpose to disparage any other belief or any other religion or those who might have come from those uh, places. I just want to tell you the truth so that, you know, I never want to take for granted what the, my people, I'll say my people, what, what the people where, where I'm preaching, the people where, where we're sharing the word. I never want to take for granted what you know and what you don't know, what you believe and what you don't believe. So I want to tell you the truth this morning, okay? First of all, Mary was a teenager. Now, that's easy. We all agree about that. Common age in biblical times for a woman to become betrothed, to be married, was somewhere between uh, you know, 12 and 15. <clears throat> when her menstrual cycle kicked in, we're all adults here, that's when she became of marrying age. And uh, you know, this was not just common in ancient times, it's been common in this country, hasn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying any of you, but uh, 100 years ago, <clears throat> maybe 200 years ago in this country... A 13-year-old girl might expect that she was going to be married off to some uh, older, uh, older boy. And so it happened. And that's how uh, you know, families back in the day had uh, 13 and 14 kids because they spent their, the rest of their adult life having babies, right? How would you like for that to be your experience? <clears throat> so she was a teenager, and uh, her genealogy is found in Luke's Gospel, her dad's name was most likely Heli or Eli, and we believe that Joseph's genealogy is found in Matthew's gospel. And so both of these genealogies, you know, the begats, go back to King David. So she was a descendant of David, and so was Joseph, who would raise as a, 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 an adoptive father her son, their son. Uh, they both go back to, uh, to, to David, which was prophesied. All right, we can easily say that, young girl, teenage girl. And I say that, and I bring it out because I want to say a word. I realize the teenagers are all gone. They're all out here, but some of you may have teenagers, and, and maybe even if you're not a teenager, what I'm going to say might encourage you. And so I want to do that today. <clears throat> Secondly, I want to say she was a sinner. Now, I hate to have to say this, but I have to say this because there is a belief, there's a view that Mary was sinless. They call this the immaculate conception. In other words, she was sinless before she had Jesus and after she had Jesus. They claim her, because she is called the Theotokos, the mother of God, that her proximity to God made her sinless. But I'm here to tell you, and I'll prove it in just a minute, that Mary was just like you and me, and if she was a teenager, which we automatically know she's a sinner, right? I mean, we were all teenagers once, right? We're all sinners. Teenagers are not. Romans chapter 3, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And this view of Mary's sinlessness 
was an old idea, but wasn't even added to church dogma, Roman Catholic church dogma, until 1854. <clears throat> it has no biblical support and is contrary to the Bible. The Bible nowhere says that Mary was uh, sinless. She was a sinner, just like us, which, which is why the story works for us, because God chooses people like us. Thirdly, she, she is not a mediator between us and God. Again, I have to say this to dispel some beliefs that some people believe that because of Mary's position uh, of carrying the child of God, that she now is an intercessor, that you could pray to Mary. And you may know people who do this. And we don't pray to Mary because there's only one mediator. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 5, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. What Paul is saying here is not only... Not only was Jesus the mediator, but he earned the spot. Mary didn't go to the cross for us, but, but Jesus did. She's not a co-mediator. Number four, she died a regular death. <clears throat> now, I'll tell you this because there's a story floating around out there, again, that makes it w- its way over into what we would call Roman Catholic tradition, which seems to be permeating our culture you know, a lot of the news anchors that you listen to who are Christian or conservative are Roman Catholic. And there's this idea called the assumption of Mary, uh, that Mary didn't die a regular death. She was like Enoch or Elijah, and she was taken up into heaven. The story goes that Thomas wasn't around when Mary died. And you know Thomas, he, he, he wanted to see what? The evidence. <clears throat> so, and so he said, I don't believe she really died. And so they went to her tomb and opened up the tomb, and the story goes that when they went into the tomb, they didn't find anything but the grave clothes, and she was gone. So they made up this doctrine called the Assumption of Mary, that Mary, and again, it plays into her being a mediator. Mary died a regular death. Mary was, however, the only one who was present at the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus. Mary's the only human being present at both of those, as far as we know. And our prayers... And our praise belong only to one. And his name is Jesus. Amen? We don't pray or praise Mary in the way we pray, praise Jesus. So I can say, number five, she was highly favored by God. Even though we've talked about her being regular, normal, she was highly favored. Highly favored. So when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Mary got this visit from Gabriel, and Gabriel came in saying, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I see some men out there. I want to give you a suggestion that you might try this week. Just a suggestion, fellas. When you come home from work or wherever you're coming from one day this week, you see your wife, greet your wife in this way. Let's practice. Ready? Greetings, oh, the Lord. Boy, I tell you what, if, if I was your wife and you said that to me, I'd tell you to get out of the house. That's, that's not even uh, convincing. So I'm assuming you're just reading now, but you're going to act it out. You know, you're going to really lay it on the line. <clears throat> Greetings. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, let's be honest. What would she say? What would she say if you said that to her? What do you want? Or what have you done? What have you done? 
She'd be like Mary. Mary was troubled. What kind of greeting is this? I'm, a, I'm just a lowly teenage girl. I'm just minding my own business. I'm just here. My body's changing. Things are happening around me. I get a visit from an angel. What are, you, what are you saying to me? And the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary, for you had found favor with God. Favor with God. What a great word from the angel. We want favor from God, don't we? And I'm here to tell you something today. God wants to give you favor. God wants to give you favor. It's why he created you. He created you to live in harmony with you. He created you to, to draw pleasure from you in your worship and in your praise. He wants in return to favor you. I know that. This is what the Bible says. Psalm 512 says, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. <clears throat> you cover him with favor as with a shield. Psalm 84:12 For the Lord God is a sun and shield the Lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly Psalm 90:17 We read let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us yes establish the work of our hands and King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Favor, God's favor. You know, maybe there are times in your life when you can feel it, when you can sense it, when you know that this was only by the hand of God, this was only because of the favor of God. <clears throat> how it could have worked out and how it did work out were so entirely different. I can only give credit to God that God gave me favor. And even when it doesn't work out the way you want it to work out, there's something in there that you could say, yes, but it could have been so much worse. But God gave me favor. We need favor. God wants to give you favor. And uh, parents and grandparents, I want to tell you something. God wants to favor you, but he wants to favor your children and your grandchildren. He wants to. But I, I want to tell you something today, and this doesn't even need to be said, but our teenagers are in trouble. Our teenagers are in trouble. Our teenagers are in trouble. They're not living in a country like many of us grew up in. They're not living in a culture that we enjoyed, a culture that promoted community service and all-around goodness and kindness and respect for others and respect for elders and respect for uh, human life. They're not living in that culture anymore. They're not living in a culture that pats them on the back for being good kids or going to church with their parents or practicing their faith in their life or on their social life. <clears throat> they have access, teenagers do, to anything they want today. Anything their eyes want to see, they can find a way to see it. They, they live in a culture that never says no to them. There's always a way for them to satisfy what it is they want. Now, I'm not talking about your little bitty kids. I'm talking about your teenagers. They live in a culture that is constantly reminding them that if there's something wrong, 
Or if you did something wrong, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault. And I know that so many of you, our teens and tweens and in-betweens, and even our 20s and 30s, and let's be honest, our 40s and 50s too, maybe some 60s, we have a lot of things on our mind today. There's a lot on our mind, but especially teenagers, especially our teenagers are constantly on their phones, and not just teenagers, but so many other people. They're constantly comparing. I'm not playing, saying playing games on your phone. I'm, I'm talking about, although that can be addictive, I'm talking about interacting with people in that way instead of <clears throat> face-to-face. And there's always this constant uh, search for clicks and swipes and likes and approvals. They're constantly comparing their lives to the lives of their friends. Can you imagine some of us growing up like that? I mean, we didn't... We, Many of us didn't grow up like that. Is that, is that I, I need to implement a filter here in order to make myself look better. And to find what I want, I want to swipe. Which way do you swipe? Left or right? Up and down? Slide into somebody's DM? And by the way, I had to have Karen educate me on all, what all that was before I shared that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you agree with me what I'm saying here today? Teenagers are not living in the same culture, and and they're, they're in trouble. I'm not saying they're causing trouble. I'm not saying they're bad kids. I'm saying unless we do something, we're going to lose a lot of good kids because of the way our culture is. And I hear well-meaning people say sometimes, Our culture needs a revival. No, our culture needs a regeneration. The church needs a revival. The church needs a revival. The culture's dead, spiritually dead. You can't revive something that was never there. And while some of us grew up in a time when going to church was popular, it was good, you didn't get criticized when, when uh, uh, reading the Bible or carrying a Bible or being a Christian or sharing your faith was a, was a good thing to do, today it's not a good thing to do for them. And you won't find many of them doing it just because of that. It's a rare teenager who will, or young person who will share their faith in the public arena and be proud about it and not be ashamed Despite all that we have available today, our teenagers are in trouble. The rate of teenage substance abuse is higher now than it's ever been before. Do you know that? Our country, it's highest among those who are 18 to 20. 18 to 20-year-olds are abusing drugs faster than anybody else. Coming in second to them are 21 to 25-year-olds who are abusing drugs. According to the America's health rankings, the rate of suicidal ideations and attempts among teens is on the rise. In other words, teens are thinking about and attempting suicide more now than ever before. And the, in 2020, suicide was the second leading cause of death among those 10 to 24 and 25 to 34. It's higher among males than females And it's higher among those who identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual than it is among those who identify as heterosexual. Our culture is confused. And it is confusing so many people. I don't know if you agree with me, but I want to tell you our teens 
are in trouble. Now, do we have to accept that? Do we, do we have to allow that to happen to our teens? No, we absolutely do not. But it's going to take some hard work. And it's going to take some intentionality. And it's going to take you occasionally saying no. No. Listen, our culture is not our friend. James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why, as a teenager, did Mary receive God's favor? I want to tell you why. First of all, because she submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit in her life. Mary said, look, I know how biology works. I'm 13 years old. I know how this works. I have never been with a man. What do you mean I'm going to be pregnant? What do you mean by that? The angel said, no problem with God. For God, that's nothing. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And uh, Mary said, okay, okay. Can you imagine the young women in Mary's day and before Mary's day, unfortunately after Mary's day, who are looking for the Messiah to be born through their womb? Because the Jewish girls were, that's, that would have been their thing. M Mary is maybe, perhaps, realizing all the implications of what's going on here. I think it happened more as she went. But Mary said, let it be so. I am the servant of the Lord. You want God's favor in your life? Then submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Ask God, what are you trying to do in me? Stop indulging in the things of the world. Stop indulging in lying and cheating and selfish pride and the love of money and sexual immorality and passions of the flesh and submit yourself to God. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 5 to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. It's a daily battle. And I don't know how these young teenage boys are winning this battle. I really don't. I don't know how, and maybe they're not. I don't know how any young man is keeping his way pure except by concentrating on the word of God. That's what the Bible says. And so Mary submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit. She said, Lord, whatever it is you want from me, wouldn't it be great if we could teach our kids, if we could teach ourselves in all times, in good times, in bad times, in all times, to say, Lord, whatever it is you want from me, whatever it is you're saying to me. And, and so how do we know what God is saying to us? Well, the first thing we do is we go to God's word and see what is God. He's saying enough right there to keep us busy for a lifetime. And then maybe we, we should go to someone else who also knows God's word and, and knows what God wants. And we should talk to them. And say, hey, what, what is it? What can I do? Dad, mom, what should I do here? Help me. And, uh, and hopefully you have parents who will say, what's God saying to you? What is the Lord saying to you? And so Mary believed what God said. And she submitted to it. Submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we're going to skip over that passage, Josh. She realized her need for a Savior. You know, this is what I said earlier. Mary was a sinner. Or else, why would she have sung? You know, people who say, well, no, she's, she's immaculate. Why would she have sung in what we, we read part of what's called the Magnificat, the, her song, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my what? My Savior. 
She needed a savior. Mary needed a savior. She knew she needed a savior. And what she was realizing that not only did she need a savior, but God was her savior. Look, that's your first step today. You have to recognize your need for a savior. I was talking to my great aunt last night, or my aunt, not my great aunt. She's trying to talk to her late husband's children about their need for the Lord, their need to be a part of the church where they live. And she said, she said, they just don't want to listen. They just feel like they don't need God. I said, well, that, that's typical of our culture. We're so affluent. If we need food, we go get food. If we need shelter, we can, I mean, most people, you know, there's shelter. But we don't really, we have so much. We don't need God until we really need God. And that's a 911 call and we'll let you off the hook as soon as you fix things for us. And so she was lamenting the fact that she, she feels like she's speaking to people who just won't listen. And I want to tell you, that's the first thing the devil does. He will make you think you're okay. You're good enough. You don't need the Lord. Just keep going the way you're going. But just like an alcoholic or a drug addict in our program, the first step is saying, I need help. I need help. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Read it with me. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And when you come to believe that Jesus is your savior, that you need a savior, and that he is the savior God sent for you, then you need to repent of your sins. You need to turn away from your sins. And the Bible says confess with your mouth. Repentance and confession. And then just like every single person, you can count them again if you want to, but every single person in the book of Acts who came to this point in their life said, where is the water for me to be baptized? And they were baptized some of them that very hour. And Acts 2 says, for the forgiveness of their sins and the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. That water, Paul said in Romans 6, symbolizes a spiritual grave where you lay down your dead spiritual body. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're raised to walk in newness of life. It's not all a spiritual. There's the physical act that's symbolizing the spiritual implications of God saving us and saving our souls. And if you've, never, if you've never acknowledged your need for a Savior and confessed that he is the one, I'm going to invite you to do that today and to follow that up with the rest of those steps. Finally, though, I want you to see that Mary received God's favor because she understood that God's power is amplified in our humility. The rest of the Magnificat goes like this. He has shown, and notice the humility. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts, but he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary was not a rich 
person. She wasn't from a rich family. She was from a common Jewish family just trying to do their best, scraping by week to week in this Roman oppression. She was just trying to do whatever God wanted her to do as a teenager, helping with the chores, whatever. God didn't have to use her. He could have chosen any young girl, but God chose her. He didn't need her. He chose her, and I think he chose her partly because of her humility. If you have a humble heart, God can use you. If you have a proud heart and you think God, you don't need God, God's not going to use you. He might use you in a way you don't want to be used, like he used Pharaoh and others throughout history, but that's not the way you want to be used by God. You want to be like Mary and say, God, whatever you want for my life. That's humility. When John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin, saw Jesus first time in his ministry, he made a comment that I think we should adopt. He told his disciples who were like, okay, you've been talking about him, but we're following you. What should we do here? That's the one you've been talking about. John said, hey guys, no problem. I must decrease. He must increase. I'm not your savior. There's your savior. Behold the Lamb of God. Follow him. And so God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that's Mary's example for us today. God's power is amplified through our humility. Would you stand with me and let's pray. And if you're here today and you've never realized your need for a Savior, or maybe you do, but you've never followed up on that, I'm going to invite you to come talk to me during this song. Lord God, thank you so much for Mary. We don't worship her. We don't pray to her. But Lord, we, we smile at her. We, like you, we favor her. We thank you for her life and her obedience and her humility. And Lord, may we too be that kind of a person. May our teenagers get this thing figured out. And we know they can't and they won't except by the Holy Spirit in their life and the good, good parenting and grandparenting of those around them. Lord, that's my prayer. Help us to save this generation from our culture that wants to destroy them. Lord, if we, if we just follow the example of Mary, we know that'd be a great start. So in the name of the one she bore for us, Jesus, We pray, amen.